first scripture reading today comes from Genesis chapter 29, verses 15 through 28. And it's talking about Jacob marrying Laban's daughters. And I'm reading from the message. Laban said, your family, my flesh and blood. And when Jacob had been with him for a month, Laban said, just because you're my nephew, you shouldn't work for me for nothing. Tell me, what would you want to be paid? What's a fair wage? Now Laban had two daughters. Leah was the older and Rachel the younger. Leah had nice eyes, but Rachel was stunningly beautiful and it was Rachel that Jacob loved. So Jacob answered, I will work for you for seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. It's far better, said Laban, that I give her to you than marry her to some other outsider. Yes, stay here with me. So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, but it only seemed like a few days he loved her so much. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. I've completed what we'd agreed I do. I'm ready to consummate my marriage. Laban invited everyone around and threw a big feast. At evening, though, he got his daughter Leah and brought her to the marriage bed, and Jacob slept with her. Morning came, and there was Leah in the marriage bed. Jacob confronted Laban. What have you done to me? Didn't I work all this time for the hand of Rachel? Why did you cheat me? We don't do it that way in our country, said Laban. We don't marry off the younger daughter before the older. Enjoy your week of honeymoon, and then we'll give you the other one also. But it will cost you another seven years of work. Jacob agreed. When he'd completed the honeymoon week, Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. The word of God for the people of God. Would you join us, join together in an attitude of prayer, please? Most gracious God, we praise your name and we give you thanks. Your steadfast love endures to all generations and all peoples are blessed by your love and mercy. As we gather to worship you this morning, we ask that your Holy Spirit would fill this place and our hearts. Father, remind us to love our neighbors and to pray for those who do not know your love. We are filled with gratitude for your never-ending love. Amen. Well, did you all know that God is everywhere? God's presence is everywhere. The trick, I guess, that's the way to look at it, the thing comes in is, is sometimes we're not paying attention, and we don't realize God's presence. Uh, it's a powerful, powerful thing to realize God's presence. It works on both ends of the spectrum for us. On one end of the spectrum, it restrains our bad behavior. I mean, think about it. If you really think that God is sitting right there on the pew beside you or sitting right there in that passenger seat of your car beside you 
or wherever you are, if you really believe that God is there, would you always do everything you do? And on the other side, on the positive side of the spectrum, if you really believe that God is there, think of the confidence, the courage, the authority that you would exude at all times. You know, like we, like we read over and over again about Jesus. It says they were surprised with the authority that he taught with. Well, if you think God's right there and that God has your back, which God does, then that's much, much easier to do. Well, I was in HEB the other day in the checkout line looking there at the, the magazine rack, at the headlines, you know, that they've always got there, and there it was. I realized the presence of God right there that was so apropos for this morning's Scripture. On People Magazine, of all places, right? That's one of your, that's one of your great theological sources, I'm sure. And uh, on People Magazine there, it's, it, it had a picture of Alex Trebek and his wife. And it says, of love kept me alive. Right? <laughs> Go figure. Right? I mean, love keeps us all alive anyway. But, but there it was. Uh, you just have to look for it. Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 John, the fourth chapter, the first 12 verses. Consider the word of the Lord. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming and now it is already in the world. Little children, you are from God and have conquered them. For the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore what they say is from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. And whoever is not from God does not listen to us. For this we know, for this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. He sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, 
not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. The word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Please be in prayer with me and for me. Merciful and loving God, God who sent Jesus to show us your love. God who sent Jesus to send us to continue to reflect your love. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Our strength and our salvation. Amen. Well, 1 John here parallels or mirrors in many ways the book of John. We believe John and 1 John, 2 John and 3 John were all written by the same John, the John that also wrote Revelation. So the themes are understandably similar. If God lives in us, we are able to discern the spirits, it says. We can discern between the spirit of truth, or the spirits, I should say, of truth and of error. Now, when John writes of spirit here in this particular place, he uses spirit with a little s, okay? And, uh, and think of it this way. Uh, I, I would say all of us have a spirit. Our spirit is, is also analogous to our of will, or, our, or in, in some places the Bible says our heart, okay? So he says that there are spirits. He says if you want to test the spirit, he says, the spirits that confess that Jesus came in the flesh are of God. And the ones that don't confess that Jesus came in the flesh are not of God. He's, he, what he's doing here in this particular point, he's not just saying that somebody who says Jesus came in the flesh is of God. Because people can say a lot of things and still not have a life to back it up. But what he's, what he's specifically doing here is he's speaking against a heresy. There was a heresy going on at this time in the early church that came out of Gnosticism. And the heresy was known as docetism. Okay? It comes from, it's come from the Greek word dokin, which means to seem. The, the docetists said that Jesus was just a spirit. Everything about him was spiritual. They made arguments like they would, as Satan often does in many situations, they would twist around Scripture. They would take things like, uh, what, John 4.24, where Jesus is talking to the woman in the well, and he says, God is spirit. 
and those who Jesus was perfect. He didn't sin, and people can't be like that. So J Jesus must have just been a spirit. God sent Jesus here and walked among us. Every, everything that Jesus did, but he never really was flesh and blood. That's a heresy. That's what, that's what, uh, that's what John is specifically addressing here. So he says, those who don't say that Jesus was actually in the flesh are against God. And he's right. I mean, I mean, he's right. That, that, that's what he's, that's specifically what he's talking about there. And he also, he also uses the term there, antichrist. Antichrist is in many ways like evil. And that is that, remember, evil is that which opposes God's will. So any spirit, any theology, anything that opposes God's will and the truth is a spirit of antichrist. And I wanted I wanted to uh, I wanted to bring I wanted to uh, bring this up along the lines that the main biblical themes are repeated over and over throughout the Bible throughout Scripture and of. Uh, Remember, have, have, have any of y'all ever seen The Princess Bride? That movie, The Princess Bride? I, I think it's, it's a great movie. I love that movie. But anyway, Fezzik, which is Andre the Giant, right? Andre the Giant is in that movie. Fezzik, and uh, at one place he says, people who wear masks cannot be trusted. So... But uh, I, just, I, just, I, just, I just wanted to bring that in. But no, no, no. No, the reason I bring that in is because... No, no, no. The reason, the reason I, I bring that up is because he, he suffered from a genetic condition that we believe Goliath suffered from. Did y'all know that? He, we, uh, uh, when you think about it, and, and of course he's, he passed away a number of years ago because people with those sort of genetic conditions are, are typically short-lived. And, and as was Andre the Giant and as was Goliath, right? But uh, Goliath didn't, uh, got his a little bit differently. But the reason, the reason I bring it up, and we're talking about Antichrist here, and we're talking about themes in the Bible, is if you do a word study and you look at the numbers that are associated with Goliath, his spear, his helmet, his, his uh, shield, and those things, of the number that comes up in there is six six six, which of course John brings up again in Revelation, the mark of the beast. So, of uh, though that numerical sequence is used to signify things again that are the spirit of Antichrist. But the good news is, John says, he says we. We who have God dwelling in us can discern between the, the spirits of truth and the spirits of error because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we're given that. Now, again, this is not to be confused with, as we, if, as we talked about before, it's not our place 
to make judgments of people and say person A belongs to the kingdom of heaven and person B doesn't. That's up to God. But we do have the authority and the power to discern between truth and falsehood when it presents itself to us in, in many, many situations in life. John goes on to say, if you have the Spirit of God living in you, then you can love. And if you don't love, then you don't have the Spirit of God living in you. Now, what's love? We've talked about this, and we all think about this, and we all, we all use the word in many, many ways. Uh, and, and the word, the Greek word for love here is agape, okay? And uh, there are other Greek words that are used for love, but in this, particular, in this particular passage and in the parallel passages in the book of John, they're, they're, it's agape, okay? Love is simply the will to good, right? That's what it is. Love is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. We, 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 we mix this up sometimes. Affection is a feeling. But true love comes from God, and it's the will to good. If I love someone, I, I take action that benefits that person. If I love God, I take actions that benefit the kingdom of God and the, and the spreading of God's gospel and God's will. That's what love is. Another thing we tend to do in our world, or if you're of the world in our society, we mix up love with desire. They're two separate things, okay? They're two separate things. Uh, love and desire are not the same thing. Again, love is simply the will to good, and God is love, and God wills good for all of us. As how do we know that God really loved us? And this is one of the, this is a real clear parallel between. John and 1 John. It says, we know God loves us. Why? Because he sent his son into the world to die for us. Sounds almost like John 3.16, doesn't it? Uh, God sent his son because he loved us. Because he loved us. He sent his son into the world. And then he makes an interesting statement again. He says what? He says, no one has seen God. No one has seen God. Now, uh, y'all remember when, uh, when Jesus was talking to Thomas in John chapter 14, he told him what? He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? We saw God's characteristics his attributes displayed in Jesus and in Jesus' life. 
the same sort of things we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? Where it tells us about love. It says what? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't puff itself up. Love is not envious. Love rejoices in good, right? All of these things are characteristic of God because God is love. It, it, it tells us here, uh, pure and simple, God is love. So it says, if you have God living in you. Now, the word living here is abiding, really. And in fact, some of you may have a translation where it says, if God abides in you. If God abides in you, then you can demonstrate God's love. Abide is more than living. And the analogy I like for us to, or would like for us to use this morning to think about that is, it's like the difference between a house and a home, right? You can take, you can take the building supplies and build a house, right? You can build a building. But if there's not a relationship with the people living inside of it, if there's not love, it's just a place to live, right? It's a house. Or we could say, if any of us, we can, we can drive, drive down any residential street in any town, and you see a bunch of houses, right? But when you come to where you live, Hopefully, you know, you feel like you're at home, right? You're in your home. What was it Robert Frost said? He said, home is the place where they always have to take you in, right? So, and it's because they love you, and it's because you have a relationship with them. So, if you love God and have a relationship with God, then God is comfortable, metaphorically, living in you and being there. So, so as you leave here today and we go out to enjoy our lives this week and see the glorious thing that God has done, you know, I look out there at the sunshine and I think about, you know, sunshine is to the sun as love is to God, right? God just radiates love. Because God is love. And God wants us to reflect that love to those around us. You know, Jesus said, what, what's the greatest commandment? Love God and love your neighbor, right? So, here's the assignment. When you start to do something this week, or for the rest of your life would be really good, I've... Uh, Ask yourself, does this action benefit God or the kingdom of God? Or, or, and the other question is, does this action benefit my neighbor? Does this action benefit my neighbor? And if you can truthfully answer yes to those questions, then you, then you are acting out of love, which it says, which is, is the goal, Right? If God dwells in us and we're acting out of love, then 
It said there at the last, we come what? We become perfected in love, right? We become perfected in love. And again, this is another term that we often get hung up on. You know, this is, you know, uh, Matthew 5:48. be perfect just like your Father in heaven is perfect. Uh, the, word perf- the word that's translated perfect there really means complete. It's telos. And it really, it's, this, it's the same idea as having a goal. When, some, when you've reached a goal, you've, you've finished what you set out to do. God's goal, if you will, for all of us is to be perfected in love, to dwell in that love, to reflect that love. That's perfection in love. And again, we do that by questioning our actions and saying, does this benefit God and God's kingdom? Does this benefit my neighbor? And you can all do that. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? Go in peace. And as you go, go with the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the unity of the Holy Spirit. Amen.